Amen. I hope that's the prayer of your heart today as we come to Psalm 63. The words of David put to song, Oh God, I seek you, I thirst for you. We don't have to think very hard to come up with the troubles of this life, the wildernesses that we face, the times in our life when we are just dry, thirsting after something to solve our problems, barren and parched. These descriptions describe not only a physical wilderness, but you've probably been there in the ways that that can describe even what's going on in our hearts sometimes. Without explanation, we find ourselves numb and lost, weak and weary. We don't always realize, like David does, that it's the Lord that we need. We sometimes wander aimlessly, seeking for something in our dryness to help us out of this. Psalm 63 gives us the words and the direction to help us in our time of need. David is facing his own wilderness, but the beauty of the metaphor of Psalm 63 is that it's not just a spiritual metaphor that David faces. It's a physical one. the, The title tells us it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. There's plenty of the land of Israel that was dry and barren. We we can think back to Moses and the people of Israel wandering in that region in the wilderness for so many years. You didn't have to look very far to find a dry place. There were two seasons of David's life when he was in the wilderness, literally and spiritually. Many of the Psalms we've studied this summer from that first season in his life when King Saul is seeking to kill him and David is hiding in the deserts and in the cliffs and so forth. The other season of David's life when he's in the wilderness is when his son Absalom betrays him, steals the kingdom. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that David gets news that Absalom has uh, recruited the armies and others to be loyal to him. And David's advisors say, we need to leave. And in 2 Samuel 15, David decides that they will exit Jerusalem. The king leaves his throne and leaves his palace and runs from his son and escapes to the wilderness, we're told in 2 Samuel 15, verse 28. In a dry land, but not just the dryness of the sandy areas and the cliffs and the lack of life, but the dryness of his soul. Can you imagine your son stealing your kingdom and running you off for your life? Not just in a dry place without water, but spiritually just hurting and broken as he cries out to God. There's something unique about Psalm 63, though, because we're used to David crying out to God in his time of trouble. Did you know Psalm 63 is one of the few psalms in the entire Psalter with no requests? David doesn't ask for anything in Psalm 63. He just looks to God, and delights in God's character in the midst of a deep, dark wilderness. 
I don't know what kind of wilderness you're facing today. Our wildernesses are, are quite different from what David faced here in 2 Samuel 15 as he writes Psalm 63. One of our missionaries, Jeff Newman, has written a book actually about Psalm 63 called Dependence in the Wilderness. We have a copy on our bookshelf in the foyer if you'd like to check it out after the service. And in that book, he does a good job of thinking through some of the wildernesses that we might face in this life. So let me just list what he lists there in his book about the kind of wildernesses we face today. And he points out that they can be these massive events in life, but they can also be found sometimes in just the the mundane difficulties that we face on a day-to-day basis. It could be financial ruin or just the weekly pressures of financial demands. It could be betrayal by friends or just a simple disappointment in a relationship. It could be the desertion of a spouse or just the lonely moment of not being understood. It could be the sorrow of seeing an adult child turn his or her back on God or just the ordinary struggles of day-to-day faith and trust in the Lord. It could be chronic pain or the temporary inconvenience of an injury. It could be the sudden death of a spouse or child or just the empty feeling of an empty nest. It could be a terminal illness that results in a slow, painful death of a parent or the slow loss of abilities that come with aging. Again, we don't have to think hard to to find and put a finger on the wildernesses of our lives, the difficulties that we face that leave our souls longing for something. And David reminds us that God is that something. He's the one we need in our wildernesses. And so we put it this way today for our theme. In your wilderness, seek God for satisfaction that overflows in worship. Now we could have just summarized this by saying, seek God. I mean, there's really no better, shorter way to summarize Psalm 63. Seek Him, thirst after Him. But there are some rich sections of this psalm that remind us that it doesn't just end with seeking Him, because what David's going to show to us is that as we seek Him, we, we find satisfaction. But it's, it's not a satisfaction that just kind of sits there. David's satisfaction all through this psalm results in worship. And so you'll see that even in the wilderness, David is using words like, my soul rejoices in you. What? As he's hunting for water, as his soul is hurting about what's going on with his son, he's actually saying, I'll sing your praises because your loving kindness is better than life. And so it's seeking God that leads to satisfaction that just kind of fills a thirsty soul and overflows in praise and worship. So that's the progression we're going to see as David not just seeks God, but he's filled up. And he overflows in worship. His thirsty soul is filled and praising God through this psalm. As we break it up today, 
I want you to notice a phrase that sort of marks our sections as we work through this psalm. You see it there in verse 1. O God, you are my God, early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. That phrase, my soul, and then a verb, occurs three times in this psalm, and I think it marks off our sections. In this first section, David's soul thirsts for God. But then you'll notice down in verse 5, the situation has changed a little bit. There he says, my soul is satisfied. The New King James translates it like it's future, shall be satisfied, but it's present, is satisfied. My soul is satisfied. And then in verse 8, my soul follows close behind you. David's soul, that word actually means to stick to something, to cling to something. And so David goes from thirsting to being satisfied to just clinging to God, sticking close to Him. And so those will be our three sections as we work through the psalm today. So how do we seek God in our wilderness? Number one, we seek the one we truly need. Part of this comes with understanding that God's the one we need in our wilderness. This seems obvious when we say it out loud, but when we're in the wilderness, we don't tend to think this way. We tend to go hunting for for the first things that come to mind, what helped me feel better in this moment. Now, think about this for a moment. David's in a literal wilderness at the end of verse 2, or excuse me, verse uh, 1. Yeah, it's in the end of verse 1. He says, in a dry and weary land, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So he, he doesn't have water. And while you think he'd be, you know, hunting around for the nearest river or stream or oasis, he turns to God. He recognizes that God is the one that he truly needs. And so he cries out to God, his God. Oh God, my God, this is personal. David knows he needs God and he knows God will be there for him. He says, early will I seek you. You're familiar with this phrase. This, the emphasis is not so much on the time of day that you just have to get up early to seek God. The, the idea is that he seeks God intentionally or earnestly. It's the first thing when his eyes open. He's after God. He's seeking the Lord, seeking Him earnestly. He says that his soul thirsts, and this is the word for physical thirst, but David now is applying that picture to his spiritual need for God. His very soul thirsts for God. That's what he needs. That's what will solve his problem. He says that his flesh longs for God, and I don't think the emphasis is to distinguish between soul and body here and the different ways that one or the other might have longed for God. I think David uses the parallelism just to communicate that all of his being needs God. His his body even needs God more than it needs water at this point. (laughs) All of him is thirsting for God in this dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So David does something then in verse 2. The word so is not so much meaning therefore as it is in this way. So David has just described how he longs for God earnestly, and it was with that longing, with that thirst, in this way, 
he went to the sanctuary to look upon God. With thirst, he went to see God. David's in the wilderness, and so he's thinking back to a time when he went and looked for God. The New King James translates, I have looked for you in the sanctuary, which is a fine translation, but the word is more commonly translated as upon looked upon the Lord. I I don't think he was like searching, trying to find God. I think he went and looked upon God. Now, now we know no man can see God and live. The Moses interaction with God reminds us of that. And so what's David talking about here? He's talking about, I think, going to the temple, the sanctuary of God. And for Israel, that's where God's presence was. And so if you wanted to be close to God, you went to the temple. And there in the temple were all these evidences of God's work. And while you weren't seeing God literally, that's where the word of God was preached. And you could be reminded of God's acts in the past, what he had done for his people through the time of Moses and the Exodus and so forth. It was also the place where there were reminders in the temple of how God had cared for them. There was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a physical reminder of God's covenant with his people. There were all sorts of things in the temple meant to remind them of God's power and God's glory. And so he went to worship. David's thinking back to those times that he had gone to the sanctuary, gone to the temple to worship God, and he had seen what? The end of verse 2. God's power and God's glory. These two words kind of summarizing the character of God, God's power emphasizing God's acts, the things that he had done. The Exodus itself would have been one testimony of remembrance for him. How by God's power, I should be using my right hand. That's the hand of power in the Old Testament, right? By God's right hand, he had redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so David could remember the power of God. But not only that, his glory. Glory representing the the radiance of his character, what God is like. And so as God thought back, or as David thought back to what God has done, he was reminded of the glory of God. He saw with eyes of faith what God was like. He saw his power and his glory, and that's what turns David to worship. And so in verse 3 he says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Having meditated on God's power and glory, David now zooms in on one character trait of God, the chesed, the steadfast love of God. And he says, that loving kindness, let's just pause there for a moment, David says, that loving kindness is better than love itself. Why don't I need water? Because I have God's love. His steadfast love. You say, well, wait a second, how in the world is God's love better than life. Indeed, it outlasts life, doesn't it? God's love endures beyond death. Would there really be life without God's love? Is that a life you would want to live? I mean, think of it. God's love is indeed better than life because David knew that it was the love of God that would hold him even through death if that's what God had for him. 
And so he just focuses in on that love. God's loving kindness is better than life, and it turns into praise, and so my lips shall praise you. And I think it's significant that we're talking about lips here in this dry and thirsty land when the lips are dry and parched and longing for that drink of water. David's saying, no, 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 my cracked lips are going to praise the love of God. It's with me here, even in the wilderness. Verse 4 is again full of praise. He says, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. David praises God. And it's interesting because in verse 3 he says that God's loving kindness is better than life. And in verse 4 he says, I will bless you while I live. So it's almost like he's acknowledging there's going to be a point that even my death comes and I'll no longer live. And so every day that I have life, my lips will be used to praise your loving kindness. Because life ends, but love doesn't. And so David praises the love of God. He lifts up his hands, and this can be a a position, a posture of surrender. David is sort of saying to God, I I give up. (laughs) I praise you. You are on high. I am low, and I worship your power and your glory and your love. David knows that God is the one he truly needs. His soul thirsts for God even in the wilderness. Maybe you've been in a scenario when you were thirsty and looking for a drink to quench your thirst, (laughs) looking for something to satisfy your parched throat. I was talking with somebody who was up at camp recently counseling for, I think it was junior boys camp. And one of the great observations that the, uh, the junior boy had made was that there was a vending machine right outside the cabin. He could get pop whenever he wanted, right? That's <laughs> how junior boys camp goes. It's basically a week of drinking Mountain Dew. Carrie and I enjoy babysitting for people from time to time when we can just be a help in that way. And I don't remember who we were watching, uh, but we uh, decided we'd get a fun drink together. And so we asked the child, uh, well, what would you like to drink? And their response was, bug juice. Uh, Bug juice? Uh, I'm sorry, we, we don't have any bug juice. No, no, there's bug juice. I don't think you can drink bug juice, you know. And so we got in this little adult child debate, which those are always fun. And so he said, okay, well, we'll go to the store and we'll see what we can find. And he said, no, no, there's bug juice. I want bug juice. Okay. And so we go to the drink section and we're looking around and trying to offer all these other suggestions. No, I think you'll like this. This is what you need, you know. And the child, no, no, there's bug juice. Okay. Pretty soon, sure enough, the child pointed out this sweet drink in there that had some sort of name like bug juice on it or something. Maybe that was their name for it. I don't remember. But there it was. They found it. That's the bug juice. Okay, well, there it is. And so they reached in and grabbed their bug juice, and they were satisfied. They had their bright green bug juice. I don't know what bug it's from, but anyway. (laughs) Satisfied with the drink they were longing for. 
Maybe you've been on the hunt for something before, scouring, trying to find something you needed. I participated in a friend's wedding as one of the groomsmen, and uh, the reception was held at a golf course and uh, in, the, in the hall there. And so I think they had gifted a, a free, you know, 18 holes of golf to the groom and his groomsmen. And so we went and played golf uh, before, the day before the wedding. And we're out there having a great time. We get through the 18 holes and we're packing up to leave. And, and the groom says, oh, I can't find my wallet. I'm going, what in the world are you talking about? Well, check again. Check your pockets, you know. And so he's checking around. He had put it in his golf bag at some point. He's checking all through his golf bag. It's, it's not there, you know. And the time for the rehearsal's coming up, you know. And so he's getting worried and anxious about what's going to happen. And so I was like, well, hey, you're the groom. You need to get there. You, you ride with them and you get to the rehearsal. We'll stay. We'll scour the course. We'll find your wallet. So the rest of us groomsmen that were left began hunting at the, around this golf course, you know, trying to get the, the hunt done before the sun went down and as things start to get dim. And so we're searching and trying to remember, yeah, I think his ball went in the rough over here. So let's check the woods in this section, you know, we're looking all over and finally we found it. We're able to text him. We, we got it. We found it. Oh, okay. You know, these, his minds begin to run with, how am I going to go on our honeymoon? How am I going to do this? You know, I don't even have my wallet and all of these things. But we found it. We found it scouring the golf course, searching for the one thing that could solve our problem, find the wallet. When it comes to the wildernesses of life, seek the one you truly need. It's him. It's the Lord, your God. He's the one for whom your soul thirsts. So avoid the temptation to seek other things. This is the great temptation of sin that in our anxiety or in our discontentment, we we think a thing can solve our problem. We think relief of the problem itself will fix things. But David wasn't deceived. He didn't think that just leaving the wilderness would solve his problem. He knew he needed God. When we're lonely, we think a friend will solve the problem, but a friend can't satisfy our souls. A friend can't be there at all times. A friend can't make us content. When we're worried about an upcoming decision, we think we'll be fine once we get past it, but we just start worrying about the next thing. When we're angry with our spouse, we think we'll be fine once they shape up. But we'll just get frustrated with the next thing they do that doesn't submit to our demands or our control or doesn't align with our plans. You see, anxiety, discontentment, fear, anger, these things are heart issues and they are, they are not caused by our wilderness. They're simply brought out of our hearts by our wilderness. And so what we need to fix our hearts is God. He solves our discontentment. He conquers our anxiety with peace. He frees us from anger. He calms our fears. We need Him. And so seek Him earnestly. It's not a feeling. This is a decision. This is a choice that David made in the wilderness. Tempted just to look for water, David intentionally goes to God early, earnestly, intensely. He seeks after the Lord. 
He chooses to return his mind to the sanctuary when he had seen God's power and glory and to remember what God is like in the midst of his trouble. And once he pauses upon God's love, it's as if, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm loved. God's steadfast love is better than life. If I dehydrate and die in this wilderness, I'm all right. God loves me. And so he finds contentment in God, not in the wilderness or in the removal of his wilderness or in anything else but in God alone. And so, friends, today, as we think about seeking God, it's not so much going to the temple as it was for David, but drawing near to God in His Word, seeking Him, talking to Him in prayer, gathering with His people. These are the ways that we go after Him. We see His glory. We meditate on Him. That leads us then to the second section of the psalm. And number two this morning, we see this. We meditate on the one who satisfies. If you want to seek God in a way that, that satisfies and overflows in worship, and the second thing we see David do here is he meditates on God who satisfies. And that, that statement of satisfaction opens this section in verse 5. He says, My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And these two terms refer to food, refer to the act of eating. These were the delicacies of the meat, the the juicy, tender, fatty pieces of meat. Now, in our uh, diet-aware society today, you know, sometimes we cut off the the fat and, you know, put it to the side, right? But this this was the flavorful delicacies of the meat. And so David says he's satisfied as if he's just eaten that hunk of steak with all the fat and goodness, and he pushes back from the table and you know, sits up straight and gives his belly a little bit of room. (sighs) Satisfied. David has been meditating on God, and verse 6 makes that clear to us. He says, I remember you on my bed. Now, there are two possibilities here. Either David's thinking back to a time when he was in his bed in the palace, Or he's just referring to his bed in the wilderness, right? Some shrubs and a rock, maybe. I don't know what he had made for his bed as he sleeps in the wilderness on the run from Absalom. But I imagine he didn't sleep well. And so whether it was the uncomfortable bed or the anxieties of his mind, it's clear David's waking up through the night. And so through the night watches, the watches were three-hour periods through the night. Through the night watches, David is awake And his mind is going to God, running to God, remembering God, meditating on God. That takes intentionality. You've you've been awake in the night before. When your mind begins to run with whatever's coming tomorrow, that big problem that's looming over you, our our minds don't wake up and naturally go to God. (laughs) But this is what David does in his night watches. As he's awake on his bed, he turns his thoughts to the Lord. He meditates on who God is. This word meditate means that he's, he's thinking, he's turning it over in his mind. And that satisfaction, as you saw back in verse 5, that, that satisfaction, like after a good meal, leads him to then praise the Lord. Even in his night watches, he says, My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. 
He worships God because he's meditated on God. In verse 7, he looks back to a time when God had been his help. Because you have been my help, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. See, he remembers a couple things about God. God had been his help in the past. David also remembers the picture of a, of a bird with its chicks under its wing, protecting its young ones. And so too, God has been David's refuge. We've heard these terms, these pictures, all through the Psalms so far. David's just thinking back. This is what he's meditating on. Who knows, maybe as he woke up in his wilderness bed, there was a bird in the wilderness nesting down over its young ones or its eggs, hiding its young under its wings. And David thought, ah, God is like that for me. He protects me with his wing. So David turned his thoughts to the Lord in the midst of his trouble. Verse 7 ends with, A note of praise once again. Because you've been my help, in the shadow of your wings, what does David choose to redo? He rejoices. He rejoices. Even in the wilderness, even though he's awake in the middle of the night, there's few things more frustrating than that. I just want to sleep. (laughs) But he remembers God's protection. God has been my help. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. So as we meditate on God, that's where we find satisfaction. Do you know there is actually a kind of a diet built around savoring food? They have this whole plan, and you can eat whatever you want. So the key is this. You eat it, and you hold it in your mouth for a little bit, and you chew it, and you savor it. And so you're supposed to think about the, the five different aspects of flavor, you know, sweet and pungent and so on and so forth, salty and bitter, you know, all these things. Try to recognize the, the flavors you're experiencing and just kind of enjoy it in your mouth for a little bit, and then finally swallow, okay? When you're done with that process, then you can take your next And so you're savoring as you go. And the idea is it slows you down as you eat. You, you know, supposedly enjoy your food more as you eat and you become full a little bit more. Well, my theory is I can savor and eat quickly at the same time, right? (laughs) So that didn't work for me. But it is a good reminder. Have you ever been in a hurry and just scarfed down a meal? I mean, just like breathed it in, you know? You're like, I, what did I have again? I'm not really sure I remember tasting that. You know, it just kind of went right down to the stomach. Meditation is this idea of pausing to reflect, to savor what God is like. How often do we just zip past His glory? That could be just in creation around us. The, the trees and the flowers that we drive by or walk by every day, the, the sunrise or the sunset and the ways that those show what God is like. And we just, you know, we're on our path. Got to go, got to move, got to keep running, you know. Oh, good, the sun's up. I can get to work. (laughs) Oh, right, God made it. And it's beautiful. To pause and reflect, to meditate, or to pause and reflect on the Word. We're so quick in our time in the Word. And praise God if you've gotten in the habit of reading the Bible regularly. That's a wonderful thing. If you've done that, you know that one of the tempting pitfalls is, you know, to kind of keep looking at the clock and 
looking at your phone and, oh boy, I got to get to this. And the tasks, you know, start popping into your head. And, okay, how many chapters do I have left here? You know, let's get through this. And, come on, come on, come on. You know. And if you're like me, you can get to the end of some of that reading and kind of, what in the world did I read this morning? You know, what, what was that about? David pauses to reflect on God. He meditates. He savors the beauty of God as he thinks back to God's character. Now, David's doing this in the wilderness without without the Word of God with him. So David's thinking back to what he knows about God, what he's seen of God, the Scriptures that he's learned growing up through his time as king. He's intentionally reflecting on these things. I wonder, what distractions keep us from the one who satisfies? Often it's our our phone or our schedule. I I just have to get some things done. I can't sit here and read any longer. (laughs) That's not about the amount of time. It's about what my mind is doing as I'm reading. Sometimes it's the why of life in our wilderness that gets us distracted. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand what the Lord is doing. What's the logical explanation? I know God works all things for good. It really helped to know what the good was right now. That why question can even be a distraction from meditating on God in our wilderness. We spend all our time thinking through, okay, I'm going to figure out the plan of God here. What's the why? Why is this going on? In fact, the book of Job is basically 35 chapters of why discussions. Job and his friends try to figure out why this is happening to him. And God steps in in the final chapters and solves the whole thing pretty quick. He just says, no, 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 it's not a why question you need to answer. It's a who question. I am God, period. So in our trouble, we spend so much time getting distracted with the whys when what we need is a who. We need God to remember what He is like to meditate on Him and to savor Him. Sometimes even selfishness can become a distraction to us. In our trouble, we turn our gaze inward. Why is this happening to me? We begin to look at ourselves and how we're feeling and what's going on, and we become you know, little self-practitioners here and just kind of constantly watching and evaluating me, what's going on with me, how are people treating me. And even that, selfishness, can become a distraction from the one we need. So to turn to the Lord and to savor on Him, to meditate on His attributes, to pause and reflect on what He's like and I mean, that can be anything as simple as a pretty tree outside. Just a pause in your hurried schedule and think, huh, that is a really interesting tree. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom in making a tree and its beauty. And we were discussing together just the other day, thinking about those sequoia trees we saw in Sequoia National Park and the thought occurred to us, you know, how in the world do those trees get water from the roots 275 feet up in the air to the leaves? That's something. (laughs) 
I don't know of any pump, you know, hidden inside the tree there or anything like that. God has made incredible things. And so just to reflect and meditate and these things lift our eyes off of our trouble and help us to meditate on the God who is our solution. Finally, then, we come to the third section here. And in verse 8, we have our third my soul phrase. David says, my soul follows close behind you. And I mentioned already that means to stick to God, to be clinging to Him as close as possible, right up next to Him. But David acknowledges in the second phrase, it's your right hand that upholds me. So think about the picture of that. David's saying, my soul is just seeking to draw near to you as close as possible. But underneath that picture is the right hand of God holding David up. And so the way we've put point three today is this way. Hold fast to the one who holds you fast. It's his strength that upholds you. It's his right hand that's underneath you. So yes, hold fast to him, but don't think that it's your strength that makes this work. (laughs) It's his right hand upholding you. It's him who's underneath. He's the strong one. He's the great one. And so, yes, your soul ought to seek him and meditate on him and hold fast to him, but he's the one who holds you fast. And so, in verse 9, because God's right hand holds him, David is quite confident about what's going to happen to his enemies. He said, those who seek my life to destroy it, they'll go into the lower parts of the earth. They'll vanish away. And this is a euphemism even for for hell, the abyss of the dead. And so David is confident that these who are attacking him, those who are opposed to God, they'll fall away. They'll fall by the sword. In some battle, God will take care of it. David's not going to worry about it. God's right hand holds him. We know it's a battle because verse 10 talks about falling by the sword and then being a portion for the jackals. Like in a battle, the, the bodies were not able to be buried and so the wild animals come and feast. It's a graphic description, but common in that day with battles. And it's kind of like David is just saying, look, God is going to take care of my enemies. He's, going, he's got this. He holds me. I'm just going to stick close to him. That's where I'm safe. And so in verse 11, the contrast comes again. The king shall rejoice in God. And everyone who swears by him, I don't think that's referring to the king. I think it's referring to God. Everyone who swears by God, and that phrase means to be allegiant to, to say, like David says in verse 1, O God, you are my God. Everyone who is clinging to God shall glory, shall rejoice shall find that God is faithful, but the mouths of those who speak lies shall be stopped. To glory and to rejoice in God is to see the truth about God, to speak the truth about God, to meditate on the truth about God, but there are some who speak lies. Their mouths will be stopped because God will show He is safe, He is faithful. He is loving. He is powerful. He is glorious. He does indeed hold us fast. And so we worship the one who holds us fast. I mentioned already that Carrie and I took a trip to the southwest, and on our trip we were able to visit the Mojave Desert. That is a dry place out there. 
So we were driving through the Mojave Desert and uh, kind of thinking like, well, we're here in the Mojave Desert. Is there anything we should see? Is there anything we should do? You know, uh, some shopping, things like that. No, it's a, it's a desert. There's nothing out there. And so we thought, okay, well, maybe there's some site we should see. And so Carrie did a search on her phone while we still had reception and uh, figured out, oh, yeah, okay, so if we take a left up ahead, uh, there should be a little sign, a scenic view. And so we'll drive down this road a little bit and we'll come to this great scene. We can, we can say we saw the Mojave Desert. We saw the scenic point. And so we get to the place of our turn. We make a left and the, the road becomes gravel and we start winding around. And all of a sudden the road becomes the, the bumpiest road I've ever driven on. Have you ever driven on a gravel road that has just deteriorated? And it's like worse than a rumble strip and just constant, you know. So I'm going 25 and it's just like, you know, just shaking our entire car. And so we had to slow down to like five miles an hour not to just blow the wheels off the car. I mean, it was just rocking the entire car. It was a rental, thankfully. So, And so, you know, we continued on at about five miles an hour trying to uh, see this scenic point. And at some point, our little GPS guide just kind of disappeared. Huh. Okay, so we just left cell reception. Uh, Well, let's go a little further. Let's see. Maybe it's around the next corner. And so we keep driving, you know, slowly on this bumpy road, making our way around the next corner, nothing. Around the next corner, nothing. Do we have cell reception yet? Nope, no cell reception yet. And so we began thinking, well, how much further do you think it is? Should we just turn around? Do we even want to see this thing? I don't know. What happens if the car breaks down out here? Well... (laughs) Probably just have to walk a long ways through the desert. Huh. You want to go back to the main road? Yeah, let's do that. So we turned around in that tiny little gravel road and went five miles an hour back towards the main road, you know, shaking the whole way as we went. And we made it safely back to the main road. And there was kind of this sigh of relief. It's like, cell phones work again? Yep. Okay, we're back on the main road? Yep. Good. All right. Let's keep going. I don't think we missed much. I think we're going to be fine. Yeah. And so from then on, in our time through the Mojave Desert, we stayed pretty close to the main road where there was other people and cell phone reception and we wouldn't die in a wilderness. So that was encouraging. As soon as you leave some of those conveniences, you realize, oh, I remember why I stayed close to those things. That's where I'm safe. That's where if the wheels fall off my car, somebody else will drive by and actually be available to help and call someone else in to help. Or there might be a restaurant or a gas station, right? You're, you're near safety on the main road, usually, and not out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. So too with the Lord. We hold fast to Him because He is our safe place. He holds us fast. It's not the strength of our clinging that keeps us safe, but rather His right hand up underneath holding us fast to Him. And so with David, may your soul hold fast to the Lord because He holds you fast. Believe the truth about God. Don't believe the lies of those opposed to God who might tell you in your wilderness, oh, no one's coming. God's forgotten about you. He's not good. He's not powerful enough. You can't trust His love. No, come back to His word, what God has said about Him, and rejoice in the truth about God. He's given us His word. We know what He's like and hold fast to that truth about him. 
But as we close, we can't fail to mention one final point. This is not a section in the psalm. It's actually just a recurring theme. And it actually happens at the end of each of these sections. So right before the my soul phrase is always a statement of worship. And so in the first section, in verse 4, David worships the one who is trustworthy. He worships God. In verse 7, right before transitioning to verse 8, David worships God again. And then finally, at the end of the last section in verse 11, David worships God. The king shall rejoice in God. So every step of the way through this psalm, David's seeking God, David's meditating on God, and holding fast to God results in worship. It results in praise as he sees what God is like. His heart is filled to satisfaction and overflowing, and he speaks the wonders and the praise of God. And so right seeking and right satisfaction in God lead to worship. They lead to praise. We speak of what He's like. We rejoice in who He is. We pause to tell the Lord and to thank Him for His goodness. This, of course, begins for us with the gospel. In our wilderness, sometimes the safest, first, greatest place we can run is to the truth of the gospel. That while my circumstances might be bringing me these lies, that, oh, oh, God doesn't love you that much. No, I'm going to run to the truth of the gospel that reminds me that when I was still a sinner, God sent His Son to die in my place, to pay for my sins. He was crucified buried. He rose again from the grave three days later as he promised, conquering my sin and death. And he offers me salvation by faith, not something I have to earn by good works, but just trusting in what he has done for me. And when I believe, I become his child. I'm loved forevermore. Because the steadfast love of God is better than life, my lips will Praise Him. So in your wilderness, look to the truth of the gospel. Look to the character of your God. Search the scriptures intently for what He's like. You know, so often our Bible reading just kind of falls into like a history lesson. Like, oh, well, that's what happened in Israel during this time period. Or, oh, that's what happened next. No, scour this glory-revealing book for the character of God. See Him here in the text and worship Keep gathering with God's people where together we display and delight in God's glory. You see glimpses of His love in this person or that person. You see glimpses of His grace and His mercy in this person or that person. And as they sacrifice and serve, you are reminded, Oh, yes, that's what my Savior's like. Oh, there I see God's Spirit in that person. I just saw some long suffering (laughs) come out. As they bear this trial, that's what my God is like. And I just got to glimpse it. Thank you, brother, for your testimony. I praise God for you. See, we see Him in one another as we yield to His Spirit, as we gather and display what He's like, as we study His Word. It leads to worship. We can't help but our lips speak what He's like and to praise Him and to worship Him.
I don't know what wilderness you're facing today, but may the words of Psalm 63 be words that your heart can sing to God in your time of trouble. Oh God, my God, my soul thirsts for you. My soul is satisfied. My soul clings fast to you. The Lord is the one you need in your time of trouble. Seek him and you will be satisfied. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Psalm 63 and the precious words of David. We praise you for being a God who has revealed yourself to us. We know what you're like. We've seen your acts throughout history. We've seen your glory in creation. And most clearly and abundantly, we have your word, which reveals your character to us. We praise you for that. Oh, help us in our trouble. We are in our own wilderness, and we want to seek you, Lord. We want to long for you like David does here. Draw our hearts, and as we search for you, thank you for the promise that you will be found and that you do satisfy and that our souls can rejoice in you. Thank you for holding us fast. As we seek you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.